Supreme Court update. Churchill Falls Labrador Corp and Hydro-Quebec, 2018, SCC 46. In 1969, the Churchill Falls Labrador Corporation Limited and Hydro-Quebec signed a contract that set out a legal and financial framework for the construction and operation of a hydroelectric plant on the Churchill River in Labrador. In the contract, Hydro-Quebec undertook to purchase, over a 65-year period, most of the electricity produced by the plant, whether it was needed or not, which allowed Churchill Falls to use debt financing for the construction of the plant. In exchange, Hydro-Quebec obtained the right to purchase electricity at fixed prices for the entire term of the contract. After the contract was signed, there were changes in the electricity market, and the purchase price for electricity set in the contract is now well below market prices. Hydro-Quebec sells electricity from the plant to third parties at current prices, and this generates substantial profit for Hydro-Quebec. In these circumstances, Churchill Falls is asking the courts to order that the contract be renegotiated and that the benefits be reallocated. Churchill Falls seeks to have the fixed rate being paid by Hydro-Quebec replaced by a new rate, so as to ensure that the contract reflects the equilibrium of the initial agreement and, in order to enforce Hydro-Quebec's alleged duty to cooperate with the Churchill Falls on the basis of its general duty of good faith. The Quebec Superior Court concluded that the intervention sought by Churchill Falls was not warranted, and the Court of Appeal dismissed Churchill Falls' appeal. Held, Justice Rowe dissenting, the appeal should be dismissed. Per Justices Abella, Moldaver, Caracatsanis, Wagner, Gascon, Cote, and Brown. Given the nature of the contract and the duties of good faith and equity, Hydro-Quebec did not have a duty to renegotiate the contract when the contract proved to be an unanticipated source of substantial profit for it. In Quebec civil law, there is no legal basis for Churchill Falls' claim. The court cannot change the content of the contract nor can it require the parties to renegotiate certain terms of the contract or to share the benefits otherwise than as provided for in the contract. The interpretation and characterization of the contract in this case are questions of mixed fact and law. Because the trial judge's interpretation and characterization of the contract are based on a particular set of circumstances that are unlikely to have any precedential value, they may not be overturned absent a palpable and overriding error. No error that would justify overturning the trial judge's finding of fact concerning the paradigm, the characterization, and the interpretation of the contract can be found. The contract cannot be characterized as a joint venture contract or a relational contract. A joint venture contract is formed where businesses choose to become partners and to cooperate in a project by each investing resources and by sharing any profits from the project. In this case, the evidence does not show that the parties intended to either enter into a partnership or to jointly assume financial or logistical responsibility for the project beyond the simple operation required to perform their respective prestations. The parties' relationship thus lacks the characteristics generally associated with a joint venture contract. As for the relational contract, it sets out the rules for a close cooperation that the parties wish to maintain over the long term and puts an emphasis on the parties' relationship and their ability to agree and cooperate.
it does not define their respective prestations in much detail. As a result, it requires a cooperation that is in the end more active than the cooperation required by transaction-based contracts. The party's contract sets out a series of defined and detailed prestations, as opposed to providing for flexible economic cooperation. Each party's participation is clearly quantified and defined, and no important prestations are left undefined. This shows that the parties intended the project to proceed according to the words of the contract, not on the basis of their ability to agree and cooperate from a day-to-day to fill any gaps in the contract. The long-term, interdependent nature of the contract does not in itself imply that the contract is relational. The contract does not contain implied clauses that impose on Hydro-Quebec a duty to cooperate and renegotiate the agreed-on prices. An implied duty may, within the meaning of Article 1434 of the Civil Code of Quebec, be incident to a contract according to the nature of the contract if the duty is consistent with a general scheme of the contract and if the contract's coherency seems to require such a duty. However, such an applied clause must not merely add duties to the contract that might enhance it, but must fill a gap. In this case, there is no gap or omission in the scheme of the contract that requires that an implied duty to cooperate and to renegotiate the agreed-on prices be read into the contract in order to make it coherent. There is nothing to suggest that the parties' prestations would be incomprehensible and would have no basis or meaningful effect in the absence of an implied duty according to which Hydro-Quebec must either exceed its usual requirements of good faith in cooperating with Churchill Farms or redistribute windfall profits. The doctrine of unforeseeability cannot serve as a basis for requiring Hydro-Quebec to renegotiate the contract. This doctrine is a private law rule that is recognized in some civil law jurisdictions, and the effect of which is that the parties can be required to renegotiate a contract if, as a result of unforeseen events, performance of the obligations stipulated in the contract would be excessively onerous for one of them. However, unforeseeability cannot be relied upon where it is clear that the party who was disadvantaged by the change in circumstances had accepted the risk that such changes would occur, and it applies only where the new situation makes the contract less beneficial for one of the parties and not simply more beneficial for the other. It does not apply where the parties receive the prestations and benefits that are provided for or are allocated to them in the contract. But this doctrine is not recognized in Quebec civil law at this time. Any development of concepts analogous to unforeseeability in Quebec civil law must take account of the legislature's choice not to turn this doctrine into a universal rule. Furthermore, even in the jurisdictions where the doctrine of unforeseeability is recognized, it applies only in narrow circumstances that quite simply do not correspond to those of the parties in this case. The parties intentionally allocated the risk of electricity price fluctuations to Hydro-Quebec, and the change in the market did not have the effect of increasing the cost of performing Churchill Farms prestations or diminishing the value of the prestations it received from Hydro-Quebec. On the contrary, Churchill Falls has continued to receive exactly what it was owed under the contract, as well as the related benefits. The principles of good faith and equity do not impose a duty to renegotiate on Hydro-Quebec. The introduction of the duty of good faith into the Civil Code of Quebec shows that the legislature intended to temper the principles of the binding force of contracts 
and autonomy of the will of the parties. Good faith confers a broad, flexible power to create law and serves as a basis for courts to intervene and to impose on contracting parties obligations based on a notion of contractual fairness. It also serves to protect the equilibrium of a contract. However, it cannot be used to violate that equilibrium and impose a new bargain on the parties to the contract. The court cannot rely on it to order the sharing of profits that have, in fact, been honestly earned. Despite its potential scope and its capacity to change the civil law because of its flexible application, the concept of good faith cannot be expanded to include the possibility of penalizing a party whose conduct has not been unreasonable or a duty to renegotiate the principal obligations of a contract in all circumstances. The duty of good faith does not negate a party's right to rely on the words of a contract unless insistence on that right constitutes unreasonable conduct in the circumstances. The duty to cooperate, which flows from the requirements of good faith, can require a party to be proactive in accommodating the interests and legitimate expectations of his or her contracting party. But, for a party to consider only the words of the contract and to refuse to renegotiate a contract or to share profits is not necessarily contrary to the general duty of good faith. The duty to cooperate with the other contracting party does not mean that one's own interests must be sacrificed. In this case, Hydro-Quebec is entitled to insist on adhering to the words of the contract and maintaining the equilibrium of the prestations the contract establishes for the benefit of the parties, which bound themselves knowing full well what they were doing. Hydro-Quebec is not breaching its duty of good faith in exercising its right to purchase electricity from Churchill Falls at fixed prices, nor does its insistence on adhering to the contract, despite the unforeseen change in the circumstances, constitute unreasonable conduct. Moreover, Hydro-Quebec is considering Churchill Falls' legitimate contractual interests, given that it is not preventing Churchill Falls from receiving the benefits conferred on the latter under the contract. It has done nothing that threatens to disrupt the contractual equilibrium. Hydro-Quebec, therefore, has no duty to cooperate with Churchill Farms to mitigate the effects of the contract. The magnitude of the profits it earns under the contract do not justify modifying the contract so as to deny that benefit. As to equity, it cannot be relied upon in support of the relief being sought since its effect would be to indirectly introduce either lesion or unforeseeability into Quebec law in every case. To hold that a change in the circumstances of the parties to a contract will always justify its being renegotiated in the name of equity would conflict sharply with the legislature's intent. Equity is not so malleable that it can be detached from the will of the parties and their common intention. Nothing about the relationship between Churchill Farms and Hydro-Quebec would justify an intervention in the circumstances of this case. There is neither inequality nor vulnerability in their relationship. Both parties to the contract were experienced, and they negotiated its clauses at length. The relief being sought cannot be granted. There is no legal basis on which a judge could impose a new bargain on Hydro-Quebec to which it has not agreed. Allowing a contract to be modified by a judge at the request of a single party would conflict seriously with the principles of the binding force of contracts and freedom of contract that underlie Quebec civil law. In any event, Churchill Falls, actions, Churchill Falls action is prescribed. The situation in this case does not constitute a breach of an ongoing duty or a continuing fault that is not subject to prescription.
On the contrary, the right of action that Churchill Falls seeks to exercise arises when the events that give rise to it occur. The most recent event to have disrupted the electricity market occurred in 1997 at the latest. It was at that time the Churchill Falls right of action arose, and it has therefore been prescribed since the end of 2000 at the latest. Per Justice Rowe dissenting. Properly characterized, the contract binding Churchill Falls and Hydro-Quebec is relational in nature, and both parties are subject to a duty of cooperation. Hydro-Quebec breached this duty. Accordingly, the appeal should be allowed. The object of contract characterization is to link the contract at issue to a legal category so as to impose on the parties the legal effects of the true nature of their agreement. The aim of this exercise is to identify the essential objective of the contract and to categorize a contract based on the elements that define its nature. The exercise of characterization is a question of law, unless consideration of evidence extrinsic to the contract is necessary to identify the true intention of the parties. In this case, the trial judge did not indicate the necessity of considering elements extrinsic to the contract to establish the nature of its fundamental obligation. Accordingly, characterization in this instance remains a question of law, reviewable on a standard of correctness. Relational contracts typically require successive performance, whereby the parties have obligations to perform on a continuing basis. This category of contracts should not be limited to those that leave certain obligations to be defined by the parties at a later date. Rather than being a necessary condition, undefined obligations are but one indicator of relational contracts. Other indicators include the duration of the contract and the creation of an ongoing economic relationship rather than a one-off transaction. In this case, the contract at issue is not a simple contract of sale. It establishes a cooperative relationship between the parties and it is the framework for an independent and long-term relationship. This conclusion is reinforced by its language. First, the agreement makes clear that both parties saw the project as requiring ongoing interaction and collaboration. Second, the parties committed to offering each other assistance during the execution of the contract in order to ensure its success. Third, the parties explicitly contemplated the need for consultation, joint determination, discussion, and revision. When considering the overall framework of the parties' rights and obligations, the true nature of the contract becomes apparent. It is relational. The categorization of a contract determines the legal consequences that attach to it including certain implied obligations that are necessary components to the contract and reflect the presumed intention of the parties. The inclusion of an implied obligation is warranted where a reasonable person in the same circumstances would see an important and intrinsic connection between the implied terms and the nature of the contract. A court does not have to find that a contract would be ambiguous, incomprehensible, without foundation, or without useful effect before including an implied obligation. In relational contracts, both good faith and equity provide guidance to determining, to defining the scope and content of implied obligations, including the implied duty to cooperate. Good faith implies an attitude that maximizes, for each party, the advantages of the contract. In circumstances where the parties must work together to achieve the object, the object of their agreement over a long period of time, the relational nature of the contract imposes a heightened duty of good faith. Likewise, 
Equity is a means to remedy the imperfections of a contract and re-establish an equilibrium where its division of burdens and benefits do not align with its intended scheme. While courts may not modify or revise contracts, they can enforce what appears to be equitable. Based on the relational nature of the contracted issue and how it informs the requirements of good faith and equity, the parties have an implied obligation to cooperate in establishing a mechanism for the allocation of extraordinary profits. This obligation flows from the facts that a profit imbalance of this nature and magnitude is beyond what the parties intended when they concluded the agreement. The parties' choice not to include a price adjustment mechanism was premised on shared assumptions about the nature and value of hydroelectric power at the time of the formation of the contract. It cannot be seen as excluding an obligation to cooperate should these shared assumptions no longer reflect reality. As the contract contains no mechanism for the allocation of profits that are beyond what was envisioned, the parties have an implied obligation to cooperate in defining the terms of their allocation. Hydro-Quebec has breached this duty by refusing to establish a price adjustment formula for these extraordinary profits by way of mutual agreement. Hydro-Quebec must therefore be held to its obligation and should be ordered to cooperate with Churchill Farms for this process, for this purpose. Where a fault continues in time and causes continuing damages, prescription starts running anew each day. By persistently refusing to enter into negotiations to establish a mechanism for allocating unforeseen profits, Hydro-Quebec has been in continuous breach of its obligation to cooperate. As Churchill Falls' right of action is grounded in this continuous breach, its claim is not barred by prescription. On the question of remedy, while judges should refrain from ordering specific performance of obligations that require personal participation of the parties, the imposition of such an order here would not amount to an improper constraint of the party's capacity to act.